Hallelujah, and welcome to Dissecting Philosophy with Dr. McDonald. In this episode, we're kicking into part four of Nietzsche's Thus Spoke Zarathustra with the section, The Honey Offering. And this section will be dealing with Nietzsche's phrase, Become what you are, as well as Zarathustra's view and how it differs from that of organized religion. So let's get started. The Honey Offering And again, months and years passed over Zarathustra's soul, and he did not heed it. His hair, however, grew white. One day, as he was sitting upon a stone before his cave, and gazing silently out, but the outlook there is of the sea and tortuous abysses, his animals went thoughtfully around him, and at last placed themselves in front of him. O Zarathustra, they said, are you perhaps looking out for your happiness? Of what account is happiness, he answered. For long I have not aspired after happiness, I aspire after my work. O Zarathustra, said the animals then, you say that as one who has too many good things. Do you not lie in a blue sky lake of happiness? You buffoons, answered Zarathustra and smiled. How well you chose that image. But you know too that my happiness is heavy and not like a liquid wave. It oppresses me and will not leave me and behaves like molten pitch. Then his animals again went thoughtfully around him and placed themselves once more in front of him. Over Zarathustra, they said, is that why you yourself are growing ever darker and more sallow, although your hair looks white and flaxen? Behold, you are sitting in your pitch. What are you saying, my animals, said Zarathustra laughing? Truly I spoke slander when I spoke of pitch. What is happening to me happens to all fruits that grow ripe. It is the honey in my veins that makes my blood thicker and my soul quieter. It will be so, O Zarathustra, answered the animals, and pressed towards him. But would you not like to climb a high mountain today? The air is clear, and today one can see more of the world than ever. Yes, my animals, he answered. Your advice is admirable, and after my own inclination, today I will climb a high mountain. But take care that I have honey ready to hand. There, yellow, white, fine, ice-cool, golden honey in the comb, for I intend to offer the honey offering. So kicking off the section then, we have... Zarathustra, very much like a Disney princess that's turned up before in previous sections, where we have Zarathustra surrounded by his animals. In a very general sense, of course, Nietzsche doesn't give any specifics about what kind of animals they are, but we can very much in a Disney princess sort of way think about deer and birds and so forth. And so what's happened from the end of part three starting into part four is that time's passed and suddenly we have Zarathustra become an old man. And one of the things that comes out is a topic 
is this whole relation into happiness within the first paragraph. And we have this back and forth with Zarathustra and the animals where the animals are arguing, are you not seeking happiness and to be happy? And Zarathustra, on the other hand, saying, well, actually, I'm not aspiring after happiness. I'm aspiring after my work and how his own happiness is not something that brings him any joy, but rather is something oppressive. And so you have this sort of nice picturesque image of happiness that's given by the animals of this nice sky blue lake. And you could have sort of this nice overall landscape that comes out of it. Trees, mountains, whilst as if you were to therefore then use that is the only way that you can try and argue for happiness, that this is the only model in which people should think of it is this picturesque landscape, that itself would be oppressive because it's not allowing for different opinions, different approaches and views. And then we have very much the opposite of that, which is a really strange image of sitting in this molten pitch that he is for Zarathustra saying, well, this is what's giving me my happiness is rather this chaotic situation that's not at all serene and calm. Happiness is pretty much in the midst of chaos, which from that you could just say, well, what's another image that we can get from all that would be in a mosh pit, let's say, where that is precisely happiness in the midst of a very chaotic situation where everybody's bashing around so forth listening to the heavy music and so on but all very much trying to enjoy themselves at the same time and so we get that with Zarathustra then that his own happiness is something that's very chaotic and is not calm whatsoever and then we have that move into the discussion about his looks and Zarathustra then replying back to the animals, this happens to all fruits, they ripen. And so it's interesting then we have that move into say, well, why has his hair grown white? Why has he gotten older? Because he's now ripe, which is quite interesting because we would think, well, the whole idea would be, let's say, youthful you could say, well, maybe that would be beginning the process of becoming more ripe. And then somewhere before old age that you would then be ripe to pick like a fruit. But you wouldn't necessarily associate old age with ripeness. But here we do. And it's the interesting question of, well, why is that the case? Because one of the things that we can reflect upon here is that with old age, you precisely have that nice relation into knowledge and having gained all the experience and vast sum of wealth of that knowledge of whatever it is within whatever field it is and so on. 
And so just because someone is whatever age it is, then they're suddenly privileged just solely through their age because of that experience they've meant to have gained within all that. So continuing on then we have Zarathustra gonna climb a mountain. But when Zarathustra had reached the summit, he sent home the animals which had accompanied him and found that he was now alone. Then he laughed with his whole heart, looked around him and spoke thus, that I spoke of offerings and honey offerings was merely a ruse and truly a useful piece of folly. Up here I can speak more freely than before hermit's caves and hermit's pets. Offer what? I squander what is given me. I, a squanderer with a thousand hands, how could I call that an offering? And when I desired honey, I desired only bait and sweet syrup and gum which even grumbling bears and strange, sullen, wicked birds are greedy for. The finest bait, such as huntsmen and fishermen need, for although the world is like a dark animal jungle and a pleasure ground for all wild huntsmen, it seems to me to be rather, and preferably, an unfathomable rich sea, a sea full of many-coloured fishes and crabs for which even the gods might long and become fishers and casters of nets. So rich is the world in strange things, great and small, especially the human world, the human sea. Now I cast my golden fishing rod into it and say, Open up, human abyss. Open up and throw me your fishes and glistening crabs. With my finest bait shall I bait today the strangest human fish. My happiness itself shall I cast far and wide between sunrise, noontide, and sunset to see if many human fishes will not learn to kick and tug at my happiness. Until they, biting on my sharp hidden hooks, have come up to my height, the most multicolored groundlings of the abyss, to the most wicked of all fishers of men. For I am he, from the heart and from the beginning, drawing, drawing towards me, drawing up to me, raising up a drawer, trainer, and taskmaster who once bade himself and not in vain become what you are so then the next section we have zarathustra saying that the whole offering of honey was merely a ruse and what he's actually looking for was some good bait because he sees the world and the human world especially as he says is a great big sea and so he wants to cast a good bait into the ocean in order to catch good fish basically but not quite fish rather human fish as he says and then we have rounding off this whole idea 
of become what you are. And I managed to find a nice website, medium.com, and the article is how to become who you are according to Nietzsche by Saeed Hussein Aether, which is a nice little review of the book Hiking with Nietzsche on Becoming Who You Are by John Keig, who is an American professor of philosophy. And we've got a nice little quote from the book here, and it says, as it turns out, to become who you are is not about finding a who you have always been looking for. It is not about separating you off from everything else. And it's also not about existing as you truly are for all time. The self does not lie passively and wait for us to discover it. So I thought that was a nice little fantastic thing for us to briefly discuss here as it ties into this section. Because when we always think about the self, as it says here, it's always this search for who we are, this whole aspect of self-discovery. And through all that, it's kind of like what it says there, the self sort of lies in wait only for us to then discover it in some way so it's kind of like we become like indiana jones searching for this artifact and if only we could therefore just stumble upon the right pieces go upon the certain journey go from places a b c and then suddenly we can discover whatever it is that we're looking for for who we want to become but it's not all about that, is what the quote says. And it's also not about separating us off from everything else either, which is quite interesting. Because separating yourself out would also then tie into the whole sort of religious aspect about things. Where you can say, in order to discover who you truly are, you must separate yourself off from the world completely. And very much so, in a Zarathustra sense, sort of go into the mountains in an isolated way and meditate and reflect and block out the world and everything external to that. And only then can you discover the self and who you truly are and who you're going to become. And on the other hand, we have Nietzsche's view, which you have a nice quote from Said here. Nietzsche's argument that self-discovery requires and undoing of the self-knowledge you assume you already have, this means that becoming yourself is a constant cycle between finding the self and also losing all sight of it. We can only truly become who we are as we overturn the fundamental truths and ideals that we believe make us who we are. This means there should be a level of trust and security as we perform these actions and do these things in life to become who we are. Nietzsche also elaborates that modern life distracts and deadens us in a way that prevents us from becoming who we are. The pleasures and fleeting desires of this world are nothing compared to the near unsurmountable challenge that is becoming who you are. 
And so we have then, from the Nietzsche aspect of it, this whole sense of becoming, because that's what we have in the whole sentence, is to become who you are. And it's just a posh way of really saying transformation and change. And so the self is never this constant or never this pure thing, but rather who we are is in this sense of continual transformation, continual change. As Saeed nicely puts there, is that continually finding who you are as a person and then losing it and having to then find it again. So it's that sense of transformation of who you are, what you think, what you believe is all very much in flux. It's never something that's stable in any given way. And of course, we can just look back through our lives and reflect upon even different things we've thought upon and different ideals and so forth, all in the past to what we then think now. And of course, that's all up in flux for the future at the same time. And so we have then for Nietzsche, this sense of self is very much a work in progress because it's always in that sense of transformation and change. So continuing on back to Zarathustra then. Thus men may now come up to me, for I'm still waiting for the sign that is time for my descent. As yet I do not myself go down, as I must, among men. Therefore I wait here, cunning and scornful, upon high mountains, not patient. On the contrary, one who has unlearned even patience, because he no longer suffers in patience. For my destiny is allowing me time. Has it forgotten me? Or is it sitting in the shadows behind a great stone, catching flies? And truly I am grateful to my eternal destiny for not hunting and harrying me, and for allowing me time for buffooneries and mischief, so that today I have climbed this high mountain to catch fish. Has a man ever caught fish on a high mountain? And if what I want and do up here is a stupidity, better to do it than to become solemn and green and sallow by waiting down there, to become by waiting a pompous snorter of wrath, a holy howling storm from the mountains, an impatient man crying down in the valleys, listen or I shall lash you with the scourge of God. Not that I should be angry, with such wrathful men on that account. They are good enough for a laugh. How impatient they must be, these great alarm drums that must find a voice today or never. But I and my destiny, we do not speak to today, neither do we speak to the never. We have patience and time and more than time, for it must come one day and may not pass by. What must come one day and may not pass by? Our great Hazar, our great far-off empire of man, the thousand-year empire of Zarathustra. How far off may that far off be? What do I care? But I am not less certain of it on that account. I stand securely with both feet upon this foundation. 
upon this eternal foundation, upon hard primordial rock, upon this highest, hardest primordial hill, as to which all winds come, as to the divining place of storms, asking where and whence and whither, here laugh, laugh my bright and wholesome wickedness, down from high mountains, cast your glistening mocking laughter, with your glistening bait for me, the fairest human fish, and what belongs to me in all seas, my in and for me in all things. Fish it out for me, bring it to me, I wait for it, I the wickedest of all fishermen, away, away my hook, in, down, bait for my happiness, drop down your sweetest dew, honey of my heart, bite my hook into the belly of all black affliction, gaze out my eye, oh, how many seas round about me, what dawning human futures, and above me, what rosy stillness, what cloudless silence. So then, rounding off this section, we have Zarathustra waiting like the fisherman with his rod and trying to catch some good human fish. And so we have this humorous image then that's brought up. Has anyone been able to catch any fish whilst fishing on a mountain? Because as you could imagine, Zarathustra is just sitting on the mountain with the rod just in the air with no water whatsoever. And so we have then quite that humorous image as well as the whole discussion about time and that eventually time will ensure the fact that he's going to catch some good fish. Like any good fisherman, of course, you have to have a good weight in the boat for her to have a good catch and sit patiently and so eventually he's going to catch some good fish and then not only that but we then have alluded to the construction of the thousand year empire of Zarathustra so this whole discussion sort of hinges upon the way in which we have certain eccentric individuals or prophets in this given case for Zarathustra or you have philosophers in their views and they can be again not taken seriously within their own time period but then we have that whole point that's alluding to the future that not only will people admire his view but to such an extent they're going to build like a whole empire of how important Zarathustra's view is. And in contrast to that, you have then also the discussion, he says, not focusing upon men of today, not focusing on these angry and wrathful men. So what are the men of today doing? Wanting people to join their views and agree with them. Why? What will happen if you don't agree with them? There'll be some sort of form of punishment. Some divine punishment, as he says there. Listen, or I shall lash you with the scourge of God. So with Zarathustra, then, we don't have this 
relation into punishment. If you don't listen to me, then you'll be punished. And even for those that have never even heard my voice before, those who don't believe will be punished. It goes into that religious whole aspect there again. If you don't believe in the word of God, then ultimately you're a heretic and you'll be punished in some way. Here we have then Zarathustra on the opposite side of that saying, well, I'm not going to have this relation into punishment whatsoever. And it's almost having this whole thought process here to say, well, this whole traditional style that we have from religious organizations, where it focuses so much upon punishment of people and the afterlife, then it's going to lose its impact in the future. It's not going to be as prevalent in people's lives as what it once was. And so then people are going to want to focus on something else. And what is that something else going to be? It's what Zarathustra's own view is going to be. And that move towards life, the world, away from this move towards death in the afterlife. So isn't that interesting that we have such a strong relation to say here for Nietzsche? It's almost as he can see in the future, in contrast to his own time period, where people were very religious going to church every Sunday. Of course, people still do that today, but it's not as popular, arguably, as what it once was. And not only that, as he says, we're going to have still this relation back into people wanting to believe in things but therefore not have this whole divine punishment relation into it it's going to want to focus on something else and what that something else again is going to be is a focus back into Zarathustra so he's playing the time game basically he's playing the weight game if I just give it enough time people will eventually come to me as an idea away from everything else and what are people drawn into is the honey and then that's the bait of course people are drawn towards the sweet tasting thing and once you have them you can hook them and that's how it rounds off the section and so that about wraps it up for this episode so we've had a nice discussion about Nietzsche's phrase become what you are and then touching upon also the relation into Zarathustra and Zarathustra's differences with organized religion. Feel free to check out my Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash dissecting philosophy. Also feel free to tip me a coffee at ko-fi.com forward slash dissecting philosophy. Drop me an email at my address dissectingphilosophy at gmail.com and lastly I could be found on Twitter at I am a rubber man. Many thanks for listening and I hope you'll join me next time.